The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Beinhacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. There was a couple of things that I went into it thinking, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to build a startup and I want it to be venture backed, it needs to have these check marks, right? So that's what I was thinking. Um, You know, the market size needs to be big enough. The business model needs to be plausible. Um, You know, there needs to be enough users that could potentially, you know, download this and start using it. What, what do I need to achieve to get investors excited? That's always been something in the back of the back of my mind. It's, it's helped and hurt in in some respects. Um, But yeah, I basically built a pitch deck. Um, I built like a wireframe demo that didn't work. And I started to piece together the story that wasn't even real. You know what I mean? Like what our traction was going to be in six months, right? What the, what the team was going to look like shots in the dark, right? You didn't have a lot of data. Exactly. I mean, even things like who's my co-founder going to be right for the longest time, there was a slide and it was me (laughs) and a black box trying to find this person that was going to, you know, compliment my background. Because as a VC, I always, you know, the co-founder relationship was always something really important, which is, okay, if you're the business uh, co-founder, you have a technical counterpart and I don't have a technical and engineering background. So I knew even not only from a practical standpoint, of course, I want someone with a technical background. Right. But from an investor standpoint, it's it's important to have that that complimentary yeah. person. I, I think that the information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. My name is Alia Mohammed, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Open Igloo, which is a platform helping New York City renters find good apartments in highly rated buildings from property managers that, that care about their tenants and their properties. Okay, Alia. So I want to thank Andrea Pass, I think, for introducing us. And um, she's always bringing me really cool guests who are doing some really cool things out there. So I'm really excited to hear about Open Igloo and everything that you're doing. But maybe we can go back because I know you have a bit of a venture capitalist background, right? Working on Mm -hmm. Wall Street and doing some things. So you look very young. So probably you started when you were 12. I don't know, but we'll 
we'll go back and let's hear your story and then we'll get into open igloo and all the cool things that you're doing. Sounds, sounds like a plan. Yeah. So okay. a little bit about me. Um, I grew up in Ottawa, Canada, um, did my undergrad in Halifax, Nova Scotia, spent, okay. um, four years studying finance. So that was, that was the career path that I was on. Um, shortly after graduating, started working, um, for a Canadian bank, working in capital markets, but shortly after that, um, got a job offer to come to New York okay. and it was, it was exciting. Um, but I kind of came kicking and screaming a little bit. I was, you know, just settling into Toronto, really liking what I was doing there. And my company said, you know, we're going to transfer you to New York. Um, so, oh, so it, was the, it was a job within the same company, but they wanted to move you. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. So, okay. uh, so when I moved to New York, um, you know, it was, I didn't know anything about the city neighborhoods, real estate, all that stuff. But all of a sudden I was, you know, thrown into this, um, thrown into this place and just had to figure it out. So after doing that for a few years, um, you know, started to reflect, wanted to make a change. Um, so I left that position. I went to grad school, studied public policy, did a master's of international affairs at Columbia. Mm-hmm. And I was still focused on finance, and mm-hmm. but I wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted to focus on the investment side, um, you know, being a little bit more hands-on in, in the investments that, that I was working on. And VC sort of seemed like this great fit. So after graduating, spent a few years doing that, Thanks. learned a ton And in doing that, just, you know, every day was talking to founders and just being really inspired by them solving their own professional and personal pain points. So were you analyzing analyzing deals that the the fund was going to invest in or... Exactly right. So, okay. you know, them them sharing the story, their technology, their company, and then you right. know, sort of me doing the, the investment analysis on, on whether that was going to be uh, one of our investments. So learned a lot from doing that, really enjoyed it, but started to feel, you know, like I wanted to start thinking about some of my own personal pain points. It's going to be one of those um, people, right? The yeah, exactly. exactly it's right. an exciting world. Yeah. So yeah. that was, that was a little bit of the beginning of open igloo. I started ideating and thinking about, you know, what are, what are some of the things that I struggle with? And I just kept coming back to rent, right? Like living and living in New York, renting and living in New York for, you know, I'm going on almost 10 years in the city has been a challenge. And I started to think, how could I solve this? How can I make this easier? And one of the things that I always did was when I was looking for apartments, I would stand outside of buildings, waiting for people walking in and out saying, Hey, do you live here? How's the landlord? So that was, was a bit of was a that light the bulb. issue was it was it was like getting access to information about the building, the, the management, the landlord, whether it was a good place to live. Do they take care of the building, all that kind of stuff? Exactly. I mean, it okay. was it became very apparent very early on. One of the buildings I lived in, you know, the heat always broke. Landlord never responded to emails or answered right. the phone. And it's one of those things that you don't know that the heat in the building is not good until you've already been living there for right, unless you have a, a few friend months. who lived there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that was really the light bulb was could we crowdsource this information? Could you we need like Yelp these for landlords, right? That was that was a part of the idea. So right. yeah, I started thinking about that for a while. Um didn't want to do it alone. So started thinking about, you know, who am I going to build this with? Who, who, yeah. who has complementary skill sets to me? Um, luckily I connected with a classmate from, from grad school who, um, who jumped on board and we started building open igloo in April of 2020. So that's perfect. Perfect. That's 10 years, 10 years in a, in a couple of minutes for you. Well, I guess you had a lot of free time <laughs> at that point, right? Cause the world had shut down a month before and you're stuck in your apartment. 
that was exactly it. It was like, wow, this is really kind of this inflection point where it's like, I've been thinking about this idea for so long. I've sort of been, you know, working on it in the background. Maybe this is the time to finally, you know, jump off right, the, the right. diving board and start building. Well, you also knew, I guess, right, that there was going to be a lot of movement depending on whether your landlord took care of you during pandemic or didn't. And yes. I, I think there were a lot of people who were disappointed with how their you know, some of them are big landlords. It's not a person. It's just a corporation and you got management and all these different layers. And I'm sure you saw a lot of that, right? Yeah, it's funny. So Open Igloo, it started as, you know, we're collecting reviews from renters on any building in New York City, also giving them access to the city data so they can do research on the apartments that they're thinking about. Right. And when we started started doing that, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, people are like, is this really the time to be working on a real estate app when I'm sure people tens of yeah. thousands of people right. are leaving the city? And it was actually the complete opposite effect. It was a huge catalyst for Open Igloo because people were spending so much more time in their apartments than they ever had before, right? right. They were being forced into these conversations with their landlords that they never they never needed to have before. You know, can I break my lease? Can I, yeah. you know, can I pay my rent a little bit late? I just lost my job. There were all of these you know, rental conversations that were happening and Open Igloo sort of inserted itself as this tool to really help, you know, navigate what people were going through. All right. So, so it's kind of a, like almost like a social network for renters in, and right now, is it just New York city? Is that kind of where you, you started? Yes. Okay. So we're let's talk about, all right. So, but you're, you're a, you know, you're a VC person, an equity person. You came out of Columbia, you got your chops. Uh, it, did you get your MBA there? Right. You said. A master's at uh, international affairs. Okay, but similar, yeah. right? You and I yes. both know. So like other people, I mean, I've interviewed people who dropped out of high school and did, and they started a business. They didn't have those kind of skills. I went to Cornell. I do what more what you do. Did you? How did you start with the whole process? Did you sit down and write a business plan and we're going to raise money? Or I want to know what your whole thought process yeah. was. There was a couple of things that I went into it thinking, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to build a startup and I want it to be venture backed, yeah. it needs to have these check marks, right? So yeah. that's what I was thinking. Um, you know, the market size needs to be big enough. The business model needs to be plausible. Um, you know, there needs to be enough users that could potentially, you know, download this and start yeah, using it. Sure. What, what do I need to achieve to get investors excited? That's always been something in the back of the back of my mind. It's, it's helped and hurt in, in some respects. Um, but yeah, I basically built a pitch deck. Um, okay. I built like a wireframe demo that didn't work. And I started to piece together the story that wasn't even real. You know what I mean? Like what our traction was going to be in six months, right? What the, what the team yeah, was going to look like shots in the dark, right? You didn't have a lot for, of data. Exactly. I mean, yeah. even things like who's my co-founder going to be right for the longest time, there was a slide and it was me <laughs> and a black box trying That's to find funny. this person that was going to, you know, compliment my background. Cause as a VC, I always, you know, the co-founder relationship was always something really important, which is, okay, if you're the business uh, co-founder, you have a technical counterpart and right. I don't have a technical and engineering background. So I knew even not only from a practical standpoint, of course, I want someone with a technical background, right. but from an investor standpoint, it's it's important to have that that complementary yeah. person. I, I think that people, especially if they're looking to raise money, they, they don't realize that you as the person on the VC side, it's definitely a detriment for you to think that you could do everything. To come yes. in and say, hey, I got this this covered. And you know, in your mind, you're like, that's impossible. There's no yes. way. So co-founders are very important. A lot of people think that they have all the skills and they don't. And that's, you know, really one of the, let's say four, you know, basic areas that you really have to answer that question because 
look, at the end of the day, if you're if you're at a VC firm, right, you're buying, you're not buying this business plan. You're buying this person that's yes. got the passion to execute this thing that you know is going to change. Whatever you think it's going to be, it's going to be wrong. I was just on a on with a with a guy who's um bringing a fran- they're starting a franchise in the United States, but they're all over the mm-hmm. world. They're yeah. like a laundry franchise. And he's an MBA type, you know, he wrote the business plan and everything. And that's exactly what it was. It, you know, you don't know if it's really going to happen or not all these projections and stuff. They're pie in the sky, but if they have confidence in you and they see you building the team around you and doing the right things, that's what they're buying into. And I think a lot of people that are listening don't really understand that. And they go to raise money and they're like, I can't, like, they don't get it because you've been in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a roller coaster. The way that Open Igloo started and the way that it looked is nothing what it looks like today. Of course not. And that's right. been all the iterations and the changes and the users right. that we've spoken to. You know, in the earliest days when I was thinking about Open Igloo, I was thinking, okay, maybe do I hire a developer agency that's going to help me bring this product together? And luckily, I didn't go down that path. And I'm so happy I didn't go down that path because the amount of changes that we yeah. made to the product right. to have someone on the team, right. Who's, who's a part of it, making those changes and iterations and things that you don't know if it's going to work, but you just do it and you put it out there and you wait for the response. But if you're working with a development agency, all of those changes cost you tons of money and you and don't time. have the flexibility. And to iterate. And right. Yeah, exactly. So um, definitely can't, can't stress enough how, how important the, you know, the early founding team is and building something. So you said this was a, a colleague from Columbia or did you meet them through a friend or. Yeah. So this was, uh, so his name is Shrujan Ruthu. He was a classmate of mine at Columbia. Um, So we got to study together for two years. Didn't know that we were going to be co-founders while we were, while we were studying, but it was nice that we got that, that time together. So that when we reconnected a few years later, um, we already you run into other. him or did you like, you know what? I remember I'm going to call him. Yeah. It was actually a friend who said, you know what? You should, you should call Shrujan and see and pitch him this and, and see what he thinks. Um, okay. And that was like, and then I sent him an email. I gave him the whole, I gave him the whole pitch, gave him the whole demo of the product that I had designed, but hadn't actually developed yet. And he was like, I think I can, I think I can do this. So that was, that, that was it. A couple of calls and we were, we were building. He was in. Yep. Okay. So I want to talk to you about the, you know, the business development side of mm-hmm. building a social network around something like this, where you're, you're looking for users and so forth. But first I have a smaller question. Like where, yeah. where does the name come from? And, and what does it like mean in your mind? Like what's the whole derivation yeah. of open igloo? It's kind of a cool yeah. name. Great question. Thank you. Um, so the igloo, as everyone knows, is sort of this house, the snow house. Um, and what I like about using the igloo as, you know, an imagery for, for what we're building is that what you see is what you get, right? An igloo is a house. There's no hidden, you know, broken wires or pipes. It is what it is. And then sort of open igloo being, you know, um, alluding to complete housing transparency when it comes to when it comes to searching, and the other thing I really like about the word igloo is that it translates in, in from every language also into igloo. So every every language oh, knows everybody what the word igloo calls means. It an igloo? Exactly. So oh, when you say igloo in any language, they know. Yeah, they know what you mean. And of course, uh, launching in uh, in New York City, where where the city speaks hundreds of different languages, we thought that was quite fitting. Yeah. Okay. So let's go yeah. through the business side of it. Cause look, yeah. I understand the program. I'm not a programmer, neither are you. Um, but you know, obviously there's an algorithm and it's got to be put all together. So how do you start? I mean, I guess you start sourcing, you need the data to get the users, yes. right? You need the users to get, the, how do you start building that and sourcing those people and gathering the data? I don't think it was out there. It wasn't like a database you subscribe to. 
No, it was, it was tough. So how I started thinking about it at the beginning was, okay, it's going to take time to start collecting these reviews, collecting the consumer generated data. What could we give users in the meantime? And the thing that we landed on was the public data, right? So New York City, for example, there's a bunch of different departments, housing preservation and development, department of buildings, department of finance, and they have a lot of really rich data on addresses and landlords. One, who owns this building? How many buildings do they own? Are there any open violations? What's okay. the bed bug history? What's the litigation oh, history? Okay, they have all and that stuff. They have all that stuff. The issue okay. is it's spread to the Yeah, that's the problem. If you're an internet. individual, you'll never figure it all out. Exactly. So what yeah. we did is we scraped all of that data and we put it into a mobile app. So when you searched any address in the city, you would sort of get that public data snapshot of, okay, how is this building performing? Okay, they got bed bugs last month, so we're not going in there. Yeah. Exactly right. And okay. then we were collecting crowdsourced reviews um, in addition to that over time. And one of the, the, the things that we did earlier on was Instagram and Facebook. It was sort of the gift that kept on giving. Um, we started creating a social following. Do you just like put it out of- there and say, we're building this wherever you live in New York City? Tell us about your experience. Exactly. And, and luckily, we got responses. I'll- Exactly. And okay. we were lucky as well. A lot of local outlets picked it up as well. It, it, especially, like I mentioned, we launched during the pandemic. A lot of people were talking about rent, people right. leaving the city. Um, so when this when this app came up, a lot of people started talking about it. And, and that definitely helped. Okay. So then then what happened? You open up the platform, then people started subscribing. What, is it free, by the way, now? Yeah, so it's completely free. So okay. when we when we launched in August, um, people were just coming in. They're doing research on their buildings and they're leaving reviews. August um, of 2020 or August of 2021? August of 2020. So, oh, so you launched pretty quickly. Yeah, we launched fairly quickly. And okay. then so we started collecting those reviews and we started doing user interviews. Like I was doing, you know, 10 user interviews a week, talking to people saying, hey, what do you think of the app? You know, what are your ideas? We started making yeah. little tweaks and iterations to it based on that feedback. But the overwhelming feedback was, this is great. I wish this existed five years ago when I moved into that horrendous apartment. This could have saved me a lot of time and stress, but I still need help finding an apartment. Um, So, you know, OpenIglu was acting as this great resource, this great tool for research, but wasn't really helpful in getting you to look at available listings and finding a place to live. So what what we did since then so we started pulling in available listings in New York so renters can actually search for apartments. So they can say, you know, show me two bedrooms, two bathrooms in this part of the city, but no bed bugs, no right. violations, four stars and above. And okay. then sort of get a more curated, high quality list of apartments. Could you could you search for a crappy apartment? Like let's say you have no money. You say, I'll take uh-huh. anything under two stars, limited bed bugs, and only like four violations a year. So that's up. So you definitely can search. You can search for those apartments, right? Right. Um, Any parameter, you can filter out those apartments if you want to. But really what we say is it's up to you what the trade-offs are, right? There's some, some buildings, for example, people complain about the noise. The windows aren't insulated. Um, it's on a really busy block. There's a garbage truck route that goes by 3 a.m. every single day. Now, if you're someone that works nights or is not super sensitive to yeah, noise, maybe you get a better maybe deal, don't right? care. Yeah. Exactly. Or it's it's just a trade-off. So that's the thing that we're we're telling renters is we're not going to tell you which building you should move into. It's really right. for you to look at the data holistically, look at the reviews, and see how that matches with your preferences. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to get into podcasting? Maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. 
They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts, as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit, created specially for our listeners. Care for your health. Care for the planet and look flippin' great doing it. North Authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better-for-you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. Hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life, as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAEPODCAST for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. How many users do you have now on the app? We have nearly 300,000 users in New York City. Is that good? I have no idea. Yes, we're we're happy. We're happy about that. So um, okay. there's five and a half million renters in New York City. So we're we're creeping up to the ten percent market share. Sure. So we're we're happy with that. And how many to grow? How many buildings do you have on that you've gotten data on? So we have over fifteen thousand buildings on the platform. That, that have, includes everything, um, including the data you scrape from the city and everything. So the fifteen thousand number is the buildings that we have the crowdsource piece on. We have over a million buildings on the Open Google platform. Oh, so fifteen thousand of them, you have information from somebody who has stayed in or lived in the building and interacted with the landlord, exactly the staff, right. or whatever. Exactly That's a right. lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Slowly but surely, step by step. Yeah. So, so what's because I know you did grow this thing with the plan on maybe selling it, merging it, making it bigger. What's the next like phase? Okay, fine. You keep adding users. You keep mm-hmm. gathering data. You're going to keep doing that, right? People going to put. In, what's the like? What's phase two? Yeah, great, great question. So I'll give you a little insight into what we're working on right That's now. That's what we so, want. We want all yes. the insight on the podcast. Yes. So what <laughs> we start, so what we started doing was, you know, helping people find available listings. Um, the other great thing is we had, you know, all of this crowdsource data telling us what are the highest performing buildings and property owners in the city. So what we've started doing is you know, creating relationships, partnerships with some of these properties where they're actually advertising and they're promoting their listings on Open Igloo and renters can directly rent those apartments. So they can find the apartment, they can apply for the apartment, sign the lease on their apartment, start paying their rent on that apartment, all on the Open Igloo platform. So think about it like an Airbnb for long-term rentals, really trying to digitize the leasing process, but make it as transparent as possible. Now, is that a revenue stream? 
that is a revenue stream. So Open Igloo will take um, a percentage of leases um, that are transacted. On so the landlord pays you a fee to... Yeah, so it's it operates similar to the Airbnb model where um, they can split the fee. So the open igloo fee can be offset to the renter and they can pay that monthly over the duration of their lease or the landlord could absorb the fee or they could split the fee. But it's it's up to the the landlord to decide. Up to the landlord. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So then the the ones that are advertising, the ones that are involved are the better landlords, obviously. So that's got to help. It doesn't it doesn't exactly endorse them, but it kind of says to the user, hey, this part, this is not a crappy building. We wouldn't have them on the site. Yeah, you exactly. Know? That's that's a, an example I love to use is you look at other marketplaces like Airbnb or Uber. They don't allow poorly rated hosts or poorly rated drivers to continue leveraging the platform. Right. right. You get your ch- you get your shot, you get your chance. Yeah. And if you blow it, then you're off. And I would love, you know, what we're trying to do is really create that same connotation, which is when you see an apartment on Open Igloo that you can apply for, there's some sort of confidence that you're you're going to get a good experience in return. Right. So if somebody has a bad review, they come to you, they want to advertise on the site and be involved. You're like, yeah, I don't think so. Got to pass the vetting process. Exactly right. Okay. So um, what else is in in the work? So that that was one thing, right? Revenue, Mm -hmm. because obviously you're building revenue streams, right? That's really the the point. You you also mentioned it's it's not a free, it's a free service for the tenants, right? And it's only a paid service for the landlord if they want to advertise. Yes. Right. So there's elements, there's elements of open igloo that are always going to be free because right. this is what the team feels very strongly about, which is, you know, information is power, you know, transparency is important. And at the end of the day, renters are entitled to this information. I think the thing that frustrates a lot of renters is, you know, when they apply for an apartment, it's like security clearance. You know what I mean? Yeah, Six I know, months ridiculous. bank statements, tax returns, employment letters. It's, like the, it's a laundry list of things. And you don't get zip from the landlord on who they are, if their right. tenants are happy. You don't get to interview them. They just interview you. Don't you. Get to inter- you don't get to interview them. And it makes sense, right? Because in a lot of markets, it's competitive and you don't want to jeopardize your chances of getting an apartment by see- seeming you know, high maintenance or asking too many questions or right. whatever it is. We really want to be that tool that supports renters in their apartment hunting process. Um, so that is always going to be completely free and accessible. Okay. Now, if you find and secure an apartment on Open Igloo, you know, that's where we, we hope to, you know, get compensated, but um, definitely access to the information and the app is, is always going to be accessible. Right. But if it's too free, it goes out of business. So, right. And do you, did you rate, you said you raised capital, you raised venture capital to start, right? Yes, we did. So we, to date, we've raised 1.7 million. Um, That was from a handful of some venture funds, but mostly strategic angels and founders who've been really helpful in you know, shaping, shaping the direction of opening loop. Right. But what, what are they, what are they expecting? They're expecting an exit, a liquidation at some point. Do they get, what do you get? I mean, I mean, every, they don't want to stay in forever. I know these guys, they, you know, yeah, I use guys Every, loosely. I don't, you know. Yes, um, I know what you mean. So, I mean, VCs have an expectation of getting paid usually within a ten-year time horizon. So okay. we're we're a year we're a year and a half in. We got so some time. We, we've we've got some time, um, but definitely that's the lens that they come at it from. Is you know they want to make a hundred times their their investment. Yeah, yeah, um, they don't want to do it for two or three times their investment. They're like, ah, I don't care. Exactly right. There's yeah. lots of other things that you can invest in and get and get two to three times. So that's definitely that's definitely the lens, and we're working on it. So what? So it can't be though that the getting the top landlords to mm-hmm. participate in the platform for a fee 
and then hoping that you get users to use the platform, right? To sign the lease, that can't be enough. I mean, maybe I'm totally missing the financial side of it. I mean, it's enough at scale, right? If you have okay. hundreds of thousands of leases, you know, taking place on on the platform. That's, well, of course, that's but I mean, if you think about that, right? Not everyone's going to be doing that. So, I don't know what the percentage is, but do you need a million users for that? Do you need three million users? Is it a ten percent play? And by the way, you already admitted, right? You went into this blindly, like a lot of people do, because you didn't have a lot mm-hmm. of data when you got started. Like you right. didn't know what the metrics were. Could you get 15 million users? I mean, let's see. No, you can't because there's only probably 8 million people that live in New York and 8 million that commute in. So you can't. So there is a cap in this city. There is a cap. And some. Yeah. Okay. And does it matter if they're a landlord or it's a co-op or if it's a co-op, you buy in. Right. You don't. If you're renting, you're renting from an owner of a unit. Yeah, there's a few yeah. different targets that we, so we can target um, property owners. We can target actually property managers who actually mm-hmm. take on that that uh, responsibility from an owner. And then okay. of course, there's individual co-op and condo or owners that can participate in the platform as well and and promote their units there. So there's definitely a few different buckets, um, and that's sort of the learning that we're going through right now is saying you know what is the best fit um, on this marketplace uh, between between renters and owners and. Yeah, we're only going to know the more that we do and the more sort of feedback that we get from both sides and and make the appropriate iterations like we've done on on the consumer side. What is your data tell you? If you have 8 million people that live in the city, roughly, mm-hmm. right? How many mm-hmm. of those people are renters? Five and a half million. Is that what the number is? Renters. Yeah. Okay. That's the number. Okay. That's the number. So, it, so you hit a half a million users and you're at about 10% of the market. Exactly. And there's about 2.2 million rental units in New York City. Yeah, that aren't all one bedroom. So they hold more than one person in a lot exactly of cases. Right. Exactly so right. So what is the, oh, what was I just going to say? Um, what you said, there's 5 million and 5.5 million renters, mm-hmm. 10% of the marketplace. I forgot what I was going to say. I just totally lost my train of thought. Yeah, but you're, but you're right. You're right in thinking, you know, trying to break down the market in this way, right? So, you know, if you're going to charge the five and a half million, what's your TAM? Okay. What's your service? What's your actual like addressable market that you think that you can capture? Um, You know, how does the model look in different cities? That's definitely something that, you know, we're starting to think about because- You have to, right? You can't just New York's not enough. I mean, I think New York is enough, but I mean, New York is the biggest rental market in the country. So I definitely think that, um, you know, the pie here is, is big. But definitely this gets exciting at a national and even a global scale. And going back to the marketplace idea, which is, you know, renters renting their apartment on Open Igloo, developing this profile, right, uh, as a renter, you know, being able to leverage that profile to rent an apartment anywhere. One of the most frustrating things, you know, for me and, and the Open Igloo team, a lot of us immigrants to the United States, renting your first apartment. You don't have yeah. U.S. income history. You don't have a credit score. Right, you don't have nobody. anything. Um, but you know, if there was, if you did have this history of being a renter on a digital platform, being able to take that with you no matter where you go. So it's just I'm giving you a little taste on on how yeah. we're thinking about things. Um, but definitely see this this expanding beyond. Well, it's an interesting beyond. model because you don't have really any costs of expanding to a new city. I mean, if somebody wants to, right, if I'm in Austin, Texas, and I want to go on Open Igloo and sign up, I can do that, right? It was going to prevent me from setting up a profile? No. 
Yeah. Nope. And that's and that's like got to open right? an office in that town. You so, know, so many people are moving to New York every single year, right? right. It's it's that's never going to change. People moving here for school, for work, for whatever it is, um, and being able to target those people in other cities around the world who are thinking about New York and saying, "Hey, make sure before you sign a lease." that you check the building and the landlord's reputation on opening before you do so gives that extra layer of confidence before, you know, committing what is a lot of money. I think everyone talks about, this is another thing. Everyone talks about home, you know, buying a home, such a big financial decision. You really take your time, you do your research, you have a really, you know, knowledgeable broker to help, you know, handhold you through the situation. But in New York, you know, people are spending over 30% of their income on rent. Sometimes even, even more than that. It's a mortgage payment. Yeah, 30% is on the low end. So it's a huge financial commitment. And our position is that renters just need to know a little bit more information before, you know, before they sign that lease. So it's a lot of money. All right. So I have two questions for you. One is mm-hmm. a financial question. Okay. Sure. In terms of like how many users do you need or what's your break even, something yep. like that. And then mm-hmm. let's talk about competition in the marketplace. About mm-hmm. you know, with opening. There's got to be other companies that are trying to do something, but maybe not. I don't know. You're the first yeah. entrance in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the market side, definitely, I think that 10% of the market is is a an old number. star for us. It's okay. a good number. And looking at some other marketplaces, that's sort of the number that they had to hit before they really started benefiting from that you know, organic growth. So that's definitely a number that I have in my head. Second, on the competition, yeah, you know, there's a couple of substitutes for what we're doing. You've got um, you've got Yelp and Google on yeah, the like review general side. review sites. Yeah. General reviews. You've got, you know, Zillow and Zumber. Do they have reviews on Zillow? They don't have reviews. No, they have okay. the, they have the inventory. So yeah. we're really, we're miss we're, we're mixing these two industries. Um, and we're, we're genuinely the only platform that's really providing the city data coupled with the crowdsourced reviews coupled with the, um, you know, listing availability all in one place. Um, so okay. I, I, we definitely have some co- competitors out there, but no one doing exactly what we're doing. Okay. Because it, do you think that, like, what do you think is the most important in your opinion, like the most important component to the business? Is it the, I mean, that's why you started it, right? Is it the reviews and the landlord information? And that's not really out there. And the other the stuff's re- just kind of drive the engine type of stuff. Reviews is our biggest differentiator, right? Yeah. Because you come into the platform and you're getting really detailed feedback on what it's like to live in a building, information that not even the broker is going to know. So, you know, I'll give you an example, just, you know, the structure of a building. We talked about noise, but there's also sound insulation in a building. I And I read thousands of reviews that come through the Open Igloo platform. So many of them complaining the sound insulation in the walls are so bad that I can hear my neighbor sneeze. That's, oh, yeah. Well, that's some of the, the buildings building. are like pre-war. There's nothing in the walls. Yeah, exactly. But if, yeah, exactly. But it's still very important information to know yeah. before you actually make that commitment. Um, sometimes it's about ventilation, right? I can smell what my neighbor is cooking or um, the basement floods every single time it rains. These are things that you're not going to know until you're already living in the property. So this information is really detailed. It's giving context to the violations, right? Uh-huh. I think that's the other important thing is you see a violation and the violation says, um, right. It's not, it's not pests. understandable. Yeah. There's pests. Okay. So there's pests. What does that mean? Does that mean there's pests 24 seven? Right. Does that mean it's that only mice a one couple? time? Right. Exactly. Right. So the reviews really helps give context to the data. And that's something that our users are really attracted to. And they find a lot of value in. 
Okay, so if you're if you're an entrepreneur, you're building a user-driven platform like that, right? Mm-hmm. So you raised your capital, and I don't know how many employees you have. You have some tech people, right? Mm-hmm. Did, did a lot of it go into advertising to find these people to get people to go and sign up? And then where do you where do you advertise? You're not doing skywriting or billboards in the you know in on Times Square. Yeah. Where where'd you where you've had you how do you pull your users in? What do you do? Yeah, you're right in saying that definitely we've dedicated a lot of spend on the marketing front because at the end of the day, this is a network effect-based startup. It becomes more powerful and useful the more users use it. Right. Um, so we've done we've done a few things on the marketing side. We've partnered with you know some some New York influencers. We've had some physical campaigns um, on the subway, for example. Um, and, you know, been experimenting with, with Instagram and then of course, email campaigns. So we've sort of, you know, been throwing, you know, throwing a lot of darts, um, and seeing what works and then really just depending on our existing user base to keep, you know, spreading the word and, and telling their, telling their right, friends of about course. it. Are you using like a, an agency to help you with that? Are you guys doing it all yourself or? We're doing it all in-house. So, Bootstrap, um, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Our very talented chief marketing officer, uh, Lidor Bar David has been, taking uh taking control of all that has been doing a great job how big is your team we are nine people okay and you have you're all virtual so some you of us so need most, an office so yeah we don't need an office but it, it's definitely nice to to have a place to meet so we're four people based in new york and um the other five are are remote but you like you're not in the office right now right i'm in the office right now oh you are I am. No, oh, it looks like your apartment. That's nice. Thank you. We're, we're trying to make it home. We're trying to make it homey, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the tech side of ping pong tables and video games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what What is the the next move with in terms of employees? Like how many more people do you need? Do, mm-hmm. You know, are they all tech people? I mean, what, you know, what does that look like as it grows? Yeah, so we're a majority engineering right now. Okay. Um, Computer and, engineering. Yes. Yeah. Um, so working working on the product, and I mean, it's a good question because right now I'm we're in a place where we don't really have a lot of extra roles that we need to fill. We sort of we have the plan. We just need to execute, and we have the people in place. Um, but definitely going to start thinking about expanding, I would say in a year's time. Um, and that's going to be, you know, likely growing out our sales function, our marketing function, and then building more sort of product focused, um, engineering teams. So definitely lots of room to grow, um, but really happy with the team we have in place right now. Yeah. I, I always wonder about tech driven businesses. Like how many, how many users do you get? Do you reach when basically there's a technical issue happening at any given time, you know? And you said you have 300,000 users. That's a lot, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So, and I assume that there's a, there's a help button screen, some sort of support. I'm having trouble. This isn't working. Do, yes. Are you hearing things like all day, every day or not really? I mean, luckily not yeah. all day, every day. Of course, there's an occasional bug that comes up. Something's not working. The one thing I will say that I love about our users is this community really cares about what we've built. And you can tell in the way that they submit their support requests. So you'll have somebody send us an email. And They're like nice super, about it. Super polite, <laughs> very detailed, right? They'll yeah. send bullet points. They'll send screenshots. They want this to be fixed. 
And getting an email like that is also, of course, you're, you want to fix it right away. You don't want anyone yeah. to run into any issues, but it's also heartwarming, which is, wow, people are really using this and they like it and they feel very invested in these things being fixed, improved, enhanced, et cetera. Um, so yeah, definitely we get, we get those types of tickets and, and we address them as fast as we can. Uh, the, I always wonder about that because I do have friends that have, are involved in those kind of businesses too. Mm-hmm. Some tech, some brick and mortar, but always involving some sort of technology. And I was just wondering how often the, you know, at what point you have a million users on the platform, you have 2 million users on the platform, not just in New York, but whatever. Yep. Are, are you getting tickets opened like every 20 minutes? Because tech has problems. I mean, Zoom had a national outage today, I think. Yes. It's a major thing. Now, you don't have that type of platform where people are like this online. Glad they came back or we wouldn't be having this call. Right. Exactly um, but right. yeah, <laughs> wouldn't be wouldn't be recording this. But um, yeah, I mean, that's a little different because people are always doing meetings and they rely on it at all times. But if you have 300,000 users, they're not all using the platform at any given time. They just have a profile set up, right? Exactly right. So we have, well, well now we're, over 50,000 monthly active users. Okay. So that's people coming back. You can to tell like how it. often they're on the platform. Yes. Okay. We can. we can, we can tell how often they're on the platform when they come back, what the retentions are, uh, especially in this market. That's less, less relevant because someone's coming in, they're doing their apartment search for, you know, a three or four week concentrated period. And then, you know, we might not see them again for, for a few months or the following year. Um, but yes, you're right. We, we don't have, we don't have thousands of tickets. That would be more concerning to me if things yeah, were with going wrong that people, often. Right. I know. Um, but it's fun. I mean, we're still at this size where we can sort of do the unscalable thing, which is a human is responding to all of those people. Um, and I think that's really, you know, helped build this community and strengthen it. And um, it reflects well on us and the fact that, you know, we really care about supporting renters. Okay, so it's a little too early to ask what your next project is because you got to still ride the wave with this one. So I won't ask yes. you that question. But if people want to learn more about um, Open Igloo and your mm-hmm. story, we'll put links in the show notes. But how? What's the awesome. best way to interact with you? Do you like LinkedIn? Do you like Instagram? Do you like what, what do you like? I like LinkedIn. You can definitely connect with me there. Um, the Open Igloo Instagram is a great place to to connect as well. Okay. We're always we're always responding to DMs there. Um, and you can always send an email to, to open igloo info at open igloo.com. I'm definitely going to see it. Um, cause I'm the one that reads it the most closely. So you can, you can connect with me there as well. All right. Well, I, I appreciate coming on, telling your story. We're going to have to watch open igloo and see what happens and how it grows. Uh, you said you're in Brooklyn, right? So where are you near? Like Brooklyn. the university near Barclay center, you near. I'm in Industry City, which is uh, in okay. Sunset Park. Sunset Park's so a little bit more South Brooklyn. Nice, nice, nice. I think we last time here. I was in Brooklyn, we went to what's the um, what's the park where they have all the ve- all the food vendors, the big circle Pros- Prospect Park, and you're thinking about Smorgasburg. I think. Yes, pre-pandemic, yes. but that's fe- pre-pandemic. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's. Is back, it coming so back? Is it? A, is yeah, it back? It's coming. I think it's coming back. Has to. Right. Yeah, has, has to. to. It's, a big, know that. Big, it's a big hit. Oh my God. The greatest thing in the yeah. world. So anyway, um, Aliyah, thank you so much for coming on and thanks to Andrea and uh, let's keep uh, doing the good thing you're doing for people in New York city. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was great. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple podcasts on Google podcasts on Amazon music and many of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. 
If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at beinhackerlaw.com. The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted and produced by me, Mitch Beinhacker. If you'd like more information about my legal services, you can find me on social media or visit my website at beinhackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.